0: SA Radio, where you are family, my name is Ethan, I'm chatting to Albert Hammond. So Albert, could you quickly introduce yourself to people who might not be familiar with your work?
1: Yes, hi, my name is Albert Hammond. I've been writing songs for the last 55 years. You'll recognize a lot of them and I'll be there to sing them for you and uh, songs I've sung myself and songs that I've written for other famous singers. I hope this is a good introduction and uh, can't wait to see you all.
0: So we're going to start talking about the famous singers you've written for quite soon. But before we get to that, I want to just take it a little bit back and talk about how you first started with music. Did you come up in a musical family or what made you decide that music was the career path for you?
1: I didn't uh, grow up uh, from a musical family, but when I was eight years old, I was singing solos in church. I was, they made me head choir boy and I sang, you know, solos and uh, when the service was over on a Sunday and the congregation gathered outside, people would come over to my mother and father, and I was there holding my mother's hand, and they would say, your son sung so beautifully today. And I could see the smiles on my parents' faces, and I thought, ah, this is a nice thing to do for a living, make people happy, you know. So uh, that was my, my beginning, and uh, the good thing was that I never gave up.
0: So talk about the early days. How did you get started as like a fledgling songwriter and musician?
1: Well, okay. Uh when I was about nine or ten, I found this artist called Buddy Holly that I love. And he was very simple. I mean, if you knew three chords, you could play Buddy Holly songs. Anyway, so I knew my father's barber father was a flamenco player. So I asked him if he showed me three chords, I would come and uh, sweep the hair off the floor of, of the shop every day and uh, he agreed you know so he taught me a d and e the three chords and um, i was able to start playing buddy holly songs and singing them and that was my beginning and from there i i just you know i just felt i could write songs so i started to write at probably the age of 13 14 and um yeah that was the beginning for me
0: So which writers, songwriters, poets, which of those kinds of people do you think had a strong impact on the way that you write music?
1: I didn't know much about songwriters, because unfortunately, songwriters were never mentioned, unless you looked at the record and you saw a name, you know, but I mean, songwriters like, you know, Goffin King, or Lieber and Stoller, or artists that wrote their own songs, you know, like the Johnny Cash or Roy Orbison or, or uh, Jubil Bryant, you know, who wrote a lot of stuff for the Everleys. Yeah, I mean, and then I go back to the Johnny Mercers, you know, and people, great lyricists, you know, Bacharach and David. I mean, there were many of them. I just felt I didn't want to be a formula writer. You know, I just felt I loved all kinds of music. So I just wrote what was in my heart. And some days in my heart was, uh, you know, some pop songs. Some days it was a country song. Some days a rhythm and blues song. Some days a rock song. And so, so I wrote, you know, from country to pop to R&B to rock. And that became my signature. You know, I wasn't like a formula writer that only wrote one kind of thing. In a way, it was not really good for my career because if I would have written 10 songs similar to it never rains. So I would have had 10 number ones, you know, <laughs> but I, I just didn't do that because it wasn't in my heart to do that.
0: So I want to talk about some of the people you've written for. So Gay radio, we're obviously a gay radio station. And I realized that some of the people that you've written for are actually quite iconic in the gay community. So I want to talk about just want to list some artists that you've written for. And I want you just to talk about your experiences with them, your thoughts about them, just maybe some stories you might have. So let's talk Whitney Houston.
1: You know, Whitney, I never met. Whitney was when they asked me to do, to write the song to represent America in the 1988. If I thought of an artist, I wanted to sing this song. I thought of Elvis Presley. I thought he was, he he would be the iconic artist to represent America singing the theme song in, in the Olympics. So in my mind was Elvis. Then I sent my demo to Clyde Davis and back came a cassette with this wonderful voice. By this wonderful, wonderful singer called Whitney Houston, and uh, I tell you, I played it ten times, and I cried all the way through the ten times I played it. It was just magnificent, and a big surprise to me because I was thinking of of a guy, I was thinking of Elvis, and not not a woman. and And along came a woman that, you know, that just made it even. I mean, the best, you know, it was just incredible. Since you're saying that that this is a gay radio station, I can tell you that my partner, my old partner, Mike Hazelwood, was gay. I didn't know that for 11 years. We worked together for 11 years. He was always surrounded by beautiful women. And I didn't know it until he came to me in 1974 and said, I can't work with you anymore. And I said, what are you talking about? We just signed a million dollar deal. And he said, I'm sorry, Albert. I I've fallen in love with you and uh and I just, you know, I can't I can't do it. And I said, Mike, I'm married. I got two kids. You've known me all this time. And that was the, the the breakup because of that. And I actually wrote a song which was on the B side of Down by the River called The Last One to Know. And it talks about that. It talks about that I loved him anyways, you know, even though I wasn't like him, you know. So I'm a very open I, you know, I'm not a racist in any kind of way, whether it's color or or what the person is or anything like that. So, in fact, I remember going to South Africa for the first time. I think it was around 74 and uh, when people were segregated and I asked in my concert that the people should mix, you know, the top and the bottom of the theater should be more of a mix, you know, and that
0: split colors like that
1: and uh, and it actually happened Jim, which was
0: wonderful okay so tina turner
1: tina turner is a wonderful human being uh she's a wonderful artist and uh, it was very easy to produce and to write for her because she's, she was so open to ideas and, uh, you know, to where the song should go. And, and I was pretty much the same. That's why I can work with so many people because I'm quite open to what's best for the artist and the song and the record, you know, to the point that uh, her musical, I have two songs in it, you know, which is, which is wonderful, you know, for me, Latina musical. So, uh, yeah, I mean, Tina Turner, one of my favorites.
0: Awesome. And then finally, Diana Ross.
1: Diana Ross, I worked with way back in 1984 when I was producing 1100 Bel Air Place, which was the first album that Julio Iglesias did in English. I actually produced all his English albums. But the first one, I had some duets. Uh, I had the Beach Boys singing with him on the air that I breathe. I had Willie Nelson singing on To All the Girls I've Loved Before, which was a a huge record. And then there was a song I didn't write. But since I was producing, you know, Diana was going to do the duet with him. And uh, it was amazing to see her in the studio before Julio arrived. She was uh, not singing the words, but just singing the melody with oohs and ahs and all kinds of different, Noises with her throat and her stomach, because you can sing with your head, your nose, your stomach, you know, you can take it different places of your body. And uh, it was a wonderful, wonderful experience. And then what happened, the song was called All of Me. And Julio was eight and she got a little upset she left the studio got in the limo and i ran up fifth avenue next to the limo saying please diana he's gonna be here please don't leave you know and which was kind of a fun thing but also very nerve-wracking because if she had left she would never have come back so she finally stopped the car and uh I got in and turned around and went back to the studio. And uh, by the time we got back, Julio was there. And once those two artists got together, they forgot about everything. You know, And that's the way it normally works with these, uh, you know, huge artists. You know, they, they do things that are very strange and then they hug each other and that's it. <laughs> and they did an incredible job. So that's my story on Diana Ross. Later on, she did uh, one of my songs, which... Uh, became a hit twice, once on her own, and the second time with a group called Westlight. She did a duet with them. And the song is When You Tell Me That You Love Me, which, which I think is one of my better songs. And, uh, yeah, I'm very proud of it. And all these songs we're mentioning here, I will be doing on stage in my show. So people will be hearing five decades of, of hits,
0: Yeah, it actually leads me to my final question. Can we talk a little bit about the upcoming shows that you're going to be doing here in South Africa? What are kind of the details of the show? And talk a little bit more about the kind of songs and the kinds of things you're going to be seeing.
1: Yeah, I'm going to be doing uh, songs from my first two albums, The It Never Rained Since Southern California and the Free Electric Band album. I might throw in a song or two from the Your World and My World album. I will be doing songs like You know, when I need you, uh, I'll be doing songs like Nothing's Gonna Stop Us Now, Starship, or Don't Turn Around. That was also a hit a couple of times, once by Oswald, uh, another time by Neil Diamond, and another time by Ace of Base. Which was really the one that really hit it big because it sold like 14 million copies. You know, I will be doing one moment in time when you tell me that you love me to all the girls I've loved before. Just many, many songs from the five or six decades that I've been having success. You know, so for 55 years I've been doing that. You know, successfully from from the very beginning, uh, which was my first hit in 1968, a song called Little Arrows by Leapy Lee P. Lee. And then I had, I don't know, like 10 more hits in in the 60s with uh, people like the Pipkins and the Fortunes and Joe Dolan and Blue Mink. And um, yeah, it's going to be wonderful. I mean, I'm I'm excited because I'm in this cold weather in Europe right now. And I'm going also to South Africa where it's summer. Oh, so yes. that's exciting also. <laughs> <laughs> and also, you know, I love, I love, I love the people there. I love Cape Town. You know, it's, it, it's just such a beautiful place, you know. And um, it's very different to 1974. You know, in 1974, there was no television, there was nothing. I mean, it was like uh, kind of uh, sad to see at times, you know. But now uh, it, it's just so much, so much nicer, you know, and uh, so much part of the rest of the world. And so many people from the rest of the world have gone there to live because it's such a beautiful place, you know. So uh, I'm really looking forward to this. To everybody, buy the tickets. It's really worth it. We'll have fun together. Thank you. Lots of love to everybody.
0: Thank you so much for the interview, Albert. I truly appreciate it. And then just for the listener's information, you're going to be performing on the 3rd and 4th of March at the Spear Amphitheater in Stellenbosch, the 6th of March at the Feather Market Hall in Port Elizabeth, the 8th of March at Kopanang Kofsikerk at Bloemfontein, and then the 10th of March at the Sun Arena Times Square in Pretoria. So if you want to get your tickets, all you got to do is go to computicket.com. Check out Albert Hammond. This is Geyser Radio with your family. I'm Ethan chatting to Albert Hammond about his upcoming tour.